The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. So after we finish singing happy birthday, Sean up front goes, hey, we should do a spanking tunnel. So um, in the lobby afterwards, we're going to, no, I'm just kidding. We're not. Some of you guys are like, I'm never coming back here again. I totally get it. All right. But um, we're in a series called Life Hacks. Today is part four. If you're looking for a spot in the Bible, if you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to bring one. But uh, Philippians chapter four is where we're going to land three, technically, Philippians three. And uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can always look that up and, and follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. I'm excited because we're in February already, and um, we're just a couple of weeks away from Baptism Sunday, and I love Baptism Sunday, so I want to encourage you that if you've given your life to faith in Christ, but you have not been water baptized, it's coming up here in a few weeks, and we would love to celebrate that step with you. So um, you can always email uh, Jen J. Irvig at grove.church. Info at grove.church works fine as well, and we'll get you signed up. Love to celebrate. But um, like I said, we're in a series called Life Hacks, um, chapter or part four, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says to meditate on or to dwell on whatsoever things are, and we're kind of going through that list, is talking about where God wants our minds to be, and um, today uh, we'll, we'll get to those words here in a second. How many of you guys have ever been on a road trip? Just raise your hands. How many of you guys love a good road trip? Yeah, me too. I do. And um, we've been on a bunch. In fact, we've been to, we've driven to uh, the Midwest a few different times, driven to Montana a bunch almost every summer. We've gone to Montana, love it over there. But uh, we've taken a couple of trips, road trips to Disneyland. Everybody, ever done that one? Anybody? Yeah, a few of us have. Disneyland, we do the whole, it takes about 21 hours. And so we figured out that if you leave like in the evening, you know, you leave four or five, five o'clock, then, you know, the first part of the road trip, all the kids are good and then they fall asleep. So you don't have to deal with the craziness. Um, so you drive through the night. But the thing about driving to Disneyland is that if you're taking I-5, it's I-5. And it's just like, there's nothing really to go, oh, look at how pretty that is. There might be, you pass Rainier and that's great. Um, and then you get to Portland and it's all downhill after that. So it's, if you're from Portland, we love you. But um, no, uh, there's just nothing amazing about driving I-5 from here to Disneyland. The whole idea is it's about getting there. And, and the thing about life in general is that in a lot of ways, we're in process. In the same way, that it is about so much a journey. But the thing about where we're going is we're not there yet. I want everybody to say, I'm not there yet. That there's something about where we're going. As you look at scripture, there, there, there's this journey that we're on, and the journey is very important. And we're going to talk about kind of that journey today. But the idea is there is a destination. And some of us need to understand, need to learn that there is a destination because it helps in processing the journey. So we'll get to that in a minute. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, and we're going to talk about these words, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, to focus on those things. There's other words, but we're going to focus on those ones. And there's something about when you focus on things like that, that there, that there comes this place of calm or, or, or it's peace giving to focus on things like that. Pure, admirable, lovely. They're also encouraging and inspiring, but there's a catch. Because when you think about this idea of pure and lovely and admirable, um, usually it's because something has gone through a process to get to that point. Anybody ever been to the Bouchard Gardens in, uh, up in Vancouver, or, sorry, Victoria? Um, we, Heather and I have been there. It's been a lot of years, but I had never been to the Bouchard Gardens before. I'm all about landscaping and nice, you know, kind of scenery outside. So when we went to the Bouchard Gardens, I was blown away, like jaw-dropping, beautiful. In fact, one of my thoughts back then was, this has got to be as close to heaven as you can get. I mean, it is amazing. 
The thing I know about the Bouchard Gardens and their history is that that didn't just show up overnight. It took years and years of, of growing the right trees and bushes and putting the right flowers in the right places and the grassy areas and the water features and bridges and all of this stuff. It took time to get to a place of being something awe-inspiring. In the same way, when it comes to the people in our lives that we would say are admirable or there's a purity to them, there's something lovely about them, to get down to the core, it's not just about appearance. You've probably met somebody who on the outside is beautiful and you meet them and go, they're a disaster, okay? Anybody ever? No, don't. Do not elbow your neighbor right now, okay? But the truth is this, people that you and I truly admire, oftentimes it's because they've been through certain things that have deepened their character, but that's the key. They've been through those things and there's something deeper about them that you're encouraged by, that you're inspired by. If you've ever met somebody that, that's been going through something but never gotten out of it and there's a sense of sort of bitterness, there's a sense of jadedness, there's a sense of, of, of you know, kind of the world owes them kind of something, that's the kind of people that go, I'm not sure, you know, they're still in process, but they haven't gotten through yet because they're kind of stuck. It's the people that have been through and learned what God wants them to learn and come out better that you and I really do admire. Last week in our life group, we were talking about in the conversation the question of honorable. Who, who in your life would you say is somebody worthy of honor? Somebody that, that, that's noble. And it was so fun to go around and hear from different people in our life group. And, and honestly, it was encouraging. I'm thinking, man, like we need to get a hold of some of these people and let them know your name was mentioned as somebody who is someone of honor to that individual. It's beautiful to behold their character. And in the end, they're better because they've gone through the process. And the same is true of us, but we must always in the process remind ourselves that we're getting to an end result. Everybody say, I'm not there yet. Come on, everybody say, I'm not there yet. Paul admits in Philippians chapter three, he's not there yet. You talk about a couple of key leaders in the early church and you're really talking about predominantly Peter and Paul. The apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, we have in chapter three, starting at verse 12, these words, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining on towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize uh, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, or as some have read, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we've already attained. And Father, today, as we navigate this text, I pray for all of us, God, to have open hearts to what you wanna do. All of us, God, to realize the value of the fact that none of us have arrived None of us is in a place of perfection, and yet we're in process. I pray it would not only create in us a sense of, I want to press on, God, but, but also it would eradicate condemnation. It would, it would eradicate some of what we battle every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this. What is the this he's talking about? And if you go back in Philippians chapter three and then all the way even back to chapter two, 
What he's talking about, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, and there's sheets there in front of you and some pens, it's Christ-likeness. Paul admits that he hasn't attained exact Christ-likeness yet. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. But he talks about that I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What I want to do, and we've been talking about this book called Laugh Again by Chuck Swindoll. Here, here's, here's the book. It's, it's an old school book. It's from the, the 90s, I think. But it's something that was on my shelf and I wanted to read and I read and went, man, this is so good. He created an outline that I want to walk through. And the first thing he brings up is this in, in verse 12. The plan is progress, not perfection. Anybody else grateful for that? For any one of us, the plan is progress. It's not perfection. Yes, we look at perfection and go, I want to be more like Jesus because he was perfect. But we're in process. There's a certain grace that, hey, none of us have arrived, but we're in process. Then verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. And a few different times, In scripture, this idea is brought up one thing. It's kind of the the bottom line, at the core. And, And Paul says, but one thing I do. And he says this, and this is only the first part of it. He says, forgetting what is behind. Everybody say, forgetting what is behind. If number one, the plan is progress, not perfection, then number two easily is, the past is over. There are some of you in this room that that. You're plagued by things that have happened in your past. You're plagued by certain ways that you've maybe failed or certain baggage that you've carried because of experiences of your past. And there's a point where, as a follower of Christ, if you are one, you've got to draw the line in the sand and say, I'm not looking back anymore. I'm not going back anymore. I'm not who I used to be. By the grace of God, I'm becoming more like Jesus, but I'm not going to let that hold me back. Can I hear an amen from anybody? One of these areas, and some of you are not going to like this, and I'm going to step on all kinds of toes, which is why you should wear steel-toed boots to church, apparently. But here's what needs to be said. Some of you in marriage have got to stop dredging up the past when you and your spouse get into some sort of tense fight. you got to quit saying, well, 20 years ago, and you always, and you bring up this wide swath of things that have happened from way back when, and it is not helping you become who you're supposed to be and is not helping your spouse, and you've got to stop it. You go, that hurts. I don't like that. There are other great churches all over around here. Go find one. Because in in all honesty, and this is bonus footage, this isn't even in my notes, but in all honesty, I want to fight for your marriage. I want you to have an incredible marriage, and marriage in our world is something that gets drugged through the mud, and then we come up with excuses for why it should never work, and we just move right on. And that's not what God intended. You guys hear crickets? (laughs) I just heard crickets. Some of you do this, yeah, but if you only knew what what happened back then. Can I just say this bluntly? Then why in the world didn't you do the hard work of dealing with it back then? And I know you're, he's serious, right? I am. Because I don't want you to have a marriage that ekes along. But it takes hard work. Anyone in here been married more than a year? Anybody more than five? Ten? I told you already, deodorant church, okay? You got to wear deodorant. <laughs> 15, 20 years. 
That's at 21. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> if you've been married, I know you're going, you're supposed to keep going. I want to win the Lord. All right, all right, all right, all right. I, I hear, I feel it. All right, so 25 years. Anybody more than 25? 30. 35, 40, 45. Okay, so. Four, anybody more than 40 years? Okay, I got some hand. Come on, keep the hand. No, no, no. Wait. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, there is too many hands to be clapping. More than 45. Wait, you're not even sitting together, though. Because hold on, hold on. I know you're married. And there's like, there's, there's four people in between you guys. Is that the secret? Sit apart. You guys got to separate, okay? Get four people between all of y'all and you'll, okay. More than 45. 50? Anybody else? Okay, I got way in the back back there. Like, I don't know. Okay. More than 50. 51? 52? 53? There's still some hands in the balcony. 54? 54. He's looking like, did you see that? Did you see that? He's like, what's, babe, what's the number? What is it? Is it 54? I don't even know. Okay. You still, you still have your hand up. He does it. Now I'm really. Okay. 54. 55? Okay. I'll, I'll just wait. We'll just wait. Okay. More than 55. Who is that? You're a legend. Is that Gary and Donna? Yeah. Hey, can you, yeah, yell how many years? How many years? Come on. 57 years. Okay. 57 years. That's awesome. So let me get back to the point I was going to make that I almost forgot, okay? <laughs> if you've been married for any more than maybe, a, but even less, a year, marriage is hard. I don't think that if we're all honest in here, there's one person that would say, it's easy. Now, it may be easier for some than others, but there are moments where marriage is hard. And you've got to do the work. And here's one of the things, and this is bon all bonus footage real quick. Some of you, you've got to learn to do the hard work of getting into issues and, and getting help. Some of you need to go to counseling. And I get really, really tired of hearing how one spouse will go with the other one. I don't do counseling. I hate that because you go, well, I'm crazy if I got to go to counseling. No, you're not. Have you ever purchased a car and expected it to last 200, 300,000 miles, but do nothing in the in-between? Anyone? No, when you buy a car every three to 5,000 miles, what is the basic you're supposed to do? Change the oil. And some of you are like, oh, I better do that, okay? So this afternoon, okay? But, but look at when you get a car and you drive it for a certain period of time, you're supposed to take it in for regular maintenance. If you don't take it in, you never change the oil. That's not good. If you're, you're one of those people that pulls into your driveway and you've got like blotches under your car, and something's late and you just mop it up, but you just keep driving, that's not gonna go well for you. Some of you have like pieces of cardboard taped to your garage floor, it's catching the oil, okay? That's not the point. You're not gonna wring it back out into your engine, all right? Are you trying to save my garage floor? You're missing the point. If you don't take care of something with a vehicle with some level of regular maintenance and help, guess what? Things will compound and get worse. And that car that maybe should have lasted 150, 200, 250,000 won't last nearly that long. And pretty soon you're trading in, you're buying a new car because you never dealt with the simple stuff from the beginning. All of a sudden, I'm not talking about cars, am I? Marriage is like that. And marriage for anybody is hard. And my wife and I have been married 20 years now, and I love her, and we have a great marriage, but it's not perfect. 
about once a year, I say, we say this, every once a year we have a good, good old-fashioned knockdown drag out. Not physically. I am pulling her by the hair through the living room. Nothing, no, no, nothing, no. But, but old, like, like, like there's just tension and we're kind of in this argument and it's not fun and we don't like it, but guess what? We deal with it every single time. Because guess what never happens in our marriage? Well, for 20 years, you've been. Now, this is all bonus footage. But, but some of you desperately need this. And you can't continue to have a marriage that just ekes along. And you're always going, maybe I just bail. Maybe it's just over. Maybe we're just not compatible. Do the hard work. And it is hard work sometimes. And it's not about how you feel. I'm not attracted to them anymore. I want to challenge you with that. Because when you read about script, uh, marriage in Scripture, it doesn't take the easy road. Just write them off, move on, have another one. Always do the hard work. Have the honest conversation. Be in a place of, of willingness to repent instead of holding on to the pride of why you're right and they're wrong. Tim and Tammy are loving every minute of this. I know they are. <laughs> because, by the way, if you want some encouragement and help in marriage, they really can help. In fact, I talked with somebody in the lobby earlier who said, you know what? I had a conversation with them, and man, was it helpful. Why don't you stand up for a second? Find them in the lobby after service. They weren't planning on this. I wasn't planning on this, but you should talk to them. All right, we're going to be here a long time because that was, all right. <laughs> Bring a lunch. Okay, um, the past is over. I, I want to read this, and this is verbatim, again, from Chuck Swindoll. He's been a pastor for decades and decades. He's a Christian leader. He says this, some of the unhappiest people I have ever known are living their lives looking over their shoulder. What a waste. Nothing back there can be changed. What's in the past? Only two things, great attainments and accomplishments that could either make us proud by reliving them or indifferent by resting on them or failures and defeats that cannot help but arouse feelings of guilt and shame. Why in the world would anyone want to return to that quagmire? I have never been able to figure that one out, but recalling those inglorious, ineffective events of yesterday, our energy is sapped for facing the demands of today. Rehearsing these wrongs, now forgiven in grace, derails and demoralizes us. There are few joy stealers more insidious than past memories that haunt our minds. Paul says to forget the past. That's good advice to all who hope to hang tough. The past is over. When Paul says forgetting what is behind, he's talking about in a race running. And he's saying this, when you're the lead runner, if you spend your time looking over either shoulder to figure out where the people behind you are, you're not going to run as fast as you should be running. And when you don't run as fast as you should be running, you don't win. His point is forgetting what is behind. Then he's, then he's going to say, he says one thing, forgetting what is behind. Then he's going to say, pressing on towards what is ahead. Everybody say the past is over. The third thing is this, and the future holds out hope. He said, and straining on towards what is ahead, I press on. He said it already. He says it again. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Number three, the future holds out hope. It's why I said before, there's something about understanding. At the end of everything, you've got to hang your hat on God wins. In a world that's negative, in a social media world that's always alarming and negative and the sky is falling and everything's going to be over with and the next generation is not even going to survive. In the midst of all of these things, you and I have got to hang our hat on, but God wins. 
In the end, there is a God who's in control, who understands, and while you and I look at it and go, if I was in control, I wouldn't do it this way, you're not God. And I don't understand all the time why certain things happen, the way things happen, but I want to encourage you. If all you have to hang your hat on at the end of the day is that God's got this, then hang your hat there. Because he does. Because he is the Lord. Because he does care. Because he is with you. He refuses to leave you. The future holds out hope. He's just straining on towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Number four, the secret is a determined attitude. For you and I, a sense of I'm gonna persevere. And I love how he calls to their maturity. He challenges them, don't you wanna be mature? You don't wanna be immature, So if you want to be mature, you would hold on to this exact same view. The point is, in this world we live in, it's easy to let go of, you know, the the, the sense that God has stuff. The sense that he's in control. The sense that he's holding on. You can lean into him in prayer. and, And all of a sudden he says, if you want to be mature, this is the view you've got to hold on to. And he says, if at some point you think differently, God will make it clear. You live your life in surrender, God will make it clear. Because there's a battle we face all the time with holding on to hope in a world that doesn't do well at holding on to hope. James 2, 1 through 4 in the Living Bible Translation. If you're taking notes, write that down, Living Bible Translation. James 1, 2 through 4. Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? You're like, yep. Okay. Then be happy. You're like, James, you know, what's... Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm your way out of problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. It's that sense of in the midst of what I'm facing, God is doing a work that I'm going to trust him on the other end for, even though in the middle of it, I can't see everything. But the idea is we don't give up. We have a determined attitude that change is happening, that I'm in process, but I'm not perfect, that God's got this, and my past is the past. Recently, I've been a little bit excited about how good my driving has been. Because I've said before, I, I use the phrase for my driving, it's decently aggressive, okay? But I, I, over time, like, I, I know I got to be careful. I don't want to drive that way, you know, all that stuff. And so for months now, I'm like, man, I'm doing so good. And you're like, where's this going? I know, okay, but don't go there. So I'm all excited. And one of those areas is when, when I, when I um, drop Jack off at school, he, he, he's over at Getchell. When I drop him off at school, um, it gets kind of crazy. Cars coming in, all that stuff. And when I go to leave, um, you're, anybody ever been to Getchell High School? As soon as you drive off the camp, you drive to a stoplight, okay? You can go right down the hill. That's easy. You can go straight, piece of cake, 83rd, whatever. I got to go left. The problem there is the light doesn't have a left arrow. So when the light turns green for us to go, all the cars are coming and you don't get to go. You never get to go. I would still be there right now, okay? So so a few months ago, um, there were some people that that, that kind of um, ran their light turning in, and so I never got to go. And so the last person I finally, like, honked, like, me, you know, like, oh, man. So then here, just the other day, I was dropping Jackson off at school, and 
um, I was coming out to the light and I literally was having these thoughts. You know, I'm just never going to honk again. I'm, just, it's, I'm not going to do that. So um, I get to the light and I'm in front. And the one thing I've learned is if, if as soon as the light turns green, if you go, then you can get through without it being an issue. Because there's no arrow. You don't ever get to go. So that's, that's been my solution to getting through that light, trying to take a left. It's fine, and I'm not cutting people off because they're still a ways away, and I just gun and I go. So here's what happened the other day. I'm sitting there, and the light's going to turn. I see it go yellow over here, and you're watching, and then it goes red, and the, the, the car from the turn lane comes. I'm like, all right, you know, second car. Red, I mean, red is red. It's green for me. goes. I'm like, my word, third car. First car, I got, for, I got one car patience. Second car, I'm like, cool. Third car, I'm like, it's been green forever. You're still going. What is happening? And then all of a sudden, I hear a honking noise. And I'm like, there, are they honking? Who's honking? I'm honking. 30 seconds before this, I'm like, I'm not honking anymore. I'm not going to be that guy. It's all good. I'm literally, beep, like, no, no. And so that guy goes, and I get stuck forever, and I finally get out of there and shave my face and all that stuff. So... I literally drove away. I'm going, I just said to myself, I'm not going to be the honker anymore. And the other thing is, if I was driving the other car, the horn doesn't even work. So it'd be, I'd be like, there's no noise. People are like, he's just banging on his steering wheel, you know? I was honky. And I literally, 30 seconds before that, was thinking, I'm just not going to be that guy anymore. It's all good. Here, what's the point? The point is this. It, it would be easy for me just to go, it is what it is. I just, I don't have the kind of patience I need, and it just is what it is. But I refuse to give in to that. And, and, and I'm not proud. I was like, man, I can't believe it. Like, I, I don't know if people know my car or not or what I drive. I drive a, a white minivan. No, I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I don't know who does, but that's your bad. Um, <laughs> Paul reminds us, let's, let's challenge ourselves towards maturity. And then at the very end, he says in verse 16 of this segment, only let us live up to what we've already attained. And his point there is this, the fifth point is, is this, let's keep a high standard. And the reason I think that's so important is, and, and driving is maybe a bit of a silly one, although it's kind of not because honestly, I just don't want to be a jerk. But um, for you and I, it's easy, maybe in moments like this, where maybe you're taking some notes and, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit's even working in you going, hey, you really need to, to deal with that or you know, repent of this or, or give that up. You can't, don't, don't camp there. That's not okay. And, and that's a great moment. Or in life group, you're having a conversation this week with your life group and going through different questions and challenging one another and you leave with a resolve, man, I'm, I'm drawing that line. But just like any of us, it's easy for that line to kind of go away. And all of a sudden, we're stepping back into things that at one point or another, we said, you know what? I'm not going there. I'm going to be done with that. That's not helping me become what I'm supposed to become. And so I love how Paul says, let's live up to what we've already attained. He, 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 he's, he's navigating towards the, the character in an individual, going, don't let it just become a landslide because somehow you blew it. Let's go back to what God can do because all of us are in process. All of us are becoming more like Christ, and yet we're all challenged. In the end, it comes down to where we fix our 
minds. And, and yes, that's Paul's point as we go back to Philippians 4, verse 8. But when he says, fix your eyes on what is admirable, fix your minds on what is pure, fix your minds on what is lovely. The amazing part of understanding those three words is that the person that most embodies that character is who? Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 goes through what we call the hall of faith. And it says, by faith, you know, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, David, by faith, and through all these different individuals that we're inspired by. And then we get to chapter 12 and it says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off all that stuff that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Because if anybody embodies going through all kinds of stuff, but coming out the other side with a sense of grace towards you and me, with a sense of love and sacrifice towards you and me, it's Jesus. And let's go back in Philippians. This was chapter three to chapter two. And it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And verses six through eight, who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Found in appearance as a man, and here's the key, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As we fix our eyes on things that are admirable or pure or lovely, as we look at who Jesus is, it's a reminder to, to, to slay pride. To realize there are things that hold you and I up from becoming what God wants and, and not just knowing those things are there, but going, God, would you give me the strength to confront those things? Or for some of you, God, would you forgive me for this in my life? Because it's not helping me become like Christ, pure, lovely, admirable. God, would you do a work in me? Because I want to be the kind of person that perseveres without making excuses, that I can become all you want, that I want to be like Jesus. If you're taking notes, last verses, just write this down. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, and I'm done. Peter says, talking about our promise of eternity, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while you have a little while, you, have met, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. God, there's nothing. In one sense in our lives, there's nothing that should surprise us about the fact that we're in process 
I think we're aware of that fact, but my prayer in a message like this is that when we face the trials, when we face the temptations that come our way, when, when, when we're confronted with stuff that feels like a mountain in front of us, God, is it in a place where we lean in and we go through it trusting there's something on the other end? Or is it easier just to bail out realizing I don't wanna go through that? And instead we try to escape it by, 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 by coping. We try to escape it by running away from honest conversations. We try to escape it by trying to deny that there's a habit in our lives that's destroying us. What if instead we confronted it and we went through what it means to be delivered and set free? What could that do to our marriages? What could that do to our ability to parent? What could that do to our lives that are meant to live in a freedom in Christ? Father, help us have a spine that we want to be people that persevere through anything we face, becoming what you desire, molded and shaped into who you want, and at the end of the day, more like Jesus. It's not a condemning message, God. It's just a challenge for all of us in this room to respond, God, help, because I'm not there yet. I'm in process. Father, help us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.